Well, welcome. Welcome to uh, our church. Uh, my name is Areli, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we have been talking about joy. And I want to start with a video today. So I'm just going to let the kids finish going where they go. And we're going to get the lights. And we're going to watch this video. happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you will teach us this morning your ways so we can rejoice in you again and again. Father, speak to us through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I say, we have been talking about joy. And uh, Philippians 3.1, as I just read, says that we are going to rejoice in the Lord. Paul has been talking to us during the past weeks, and he keeps telling us that for him, there is one purpose in life, to know Christ and to make him known. That is his purpose in life. He said that he will preach Christ crucified for our sins, and he said that God started something good in you, and he will be faithful to continue to do his work until the end of times. He said that we need to be thankful and prayful, that we have to have an attitude of gratitude rather our least lead pastor said last week. And he also said that he will do this because we are citizens of heaven. When there is no election process, thank God. And that he will stand for one purpose and one purpose only. And that purpose is stand for the faith for the faith, which is the good news. Good news. I heard this word a lot. We, if we come to church, we hear good news. And what is good news? Hmm. Back in the book of Acts, why don't you go with me to the book of Acts? And if you hear me saying this before, 
you're going to hear me saying it again <laughs> because I am the one with the microphone today. So here I come in the book of Acts, chapter 1, Luke, Dr. Luke, that I really like, um, said in this gospel, as he starts the book of Acts, a word. I want you to look for a word. This word is the clue. It's a mystery today. It's a clue to make Christianity a reality. Paul is going to, going to tell, he is going to tell us a word that makes what we do real. So pay attention. You can read with me or follow. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Acts chapter 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, that means friend, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken upon heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, that's always good, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few uh, days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Did you find the word? There is a word there that is a chain reaction to our faith. And that word is alive. Jesus proved in many ways that he is actually alive. People, we follow Jesus because he is alive. We don't follow Jesus because he did miracles, because Moses did miracles. And so was Elijah. We follow Jesus because he is alive. He said that John the baptizer, that there is no one like John the baptizer, you know, as a human. And he didn't perform any miracles ever. So it's not about miracles. It's about Jesus alive in us, active in our spirit. And as Paul uh, continues to this journey, and, and Luke tells us why Paul is in such a uh, fight to do this, continue with his mission, even though he's sitting in prison, we can see that because Jesus is alive, we are going to be able to um, see Paul in this area in Philippians that we are going to continue to read today. Paul emphasizes the word joy and rejoice in this book of Philippians, and is repeated 16 times in a short literature letter. 16 times he says joy and rejoice. But here in chapter 3, for the first time, Paul is going to add a qualifier to the word rejoice. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. This phrase is the key phrase in the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. Like Christ is alive, is in the book of Acts. Rejoice in the Lord is in the book of Philippians. Paul uses rejoice in this book 20 times. I know I like to look for these little things here and there because I think they are important because this book echoes the book of Psalms when they, we are called to rejoice in the Lord. 
where we are called to sing a joyful song. So he says that it doesn't matter whatever happens to you, you are going to be called to rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't matter what is happening in your life, because then what is joy? If we are called to rejoice, we need to find out what is joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on. Joy is a fruit the Spirit of God. God gave us joy as a fruit, not as a gift. If I give you a gift, the gift is just yours to keep. But if I have a fruit and I give you a banana, the best fruit ever, uh, with peanut butter, done forever. You don't need to any other snack. Anyway, that was just a commercial. Um, if I give you a banana and you eat it, you are going to need another banana. Just like the joy of the Lord. He gives this fruit to you so you are able to enjoy it and get more when you need it. You have two options. You can go hungry. Or, not, or if you are scared, not run to your father's lap and feel rescue. Or you can enjoy a banana every time you're hungry. Because there is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness depends upon happenings. Something needs to happen for you to be happy. An event or something in your life or a guy laughing, crazy, uncontrollable in the train, on the train, whatever. Um, and there you're going to start laughing. But that doesn't mean you're happy. That means that you are just going with the flow because something happened. Joy depends upon Jesus. Joy depends upon Jesus. It, says, it is a decision of your will. You are going to choose to be joyful in all circumstances to protect your faith. Is that easy? Believe me, it is not. In Africa, there is a fruit called tasty berry. Anybody knows a tasty berry? Mister, yes. A tasty berry. The tasty berries are capable of making you taste everything sweet. Everything you taste is going to be sweet for the next 30 minutes. The coffee will become ice cream, you know, because it's sweet. It is the joyful miracle berry. Time to give asparagus to your children after tasting a tasty berry and get all those veggies that the doctor tells us to get. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. And then Paul goes and tells us the following on verse 3, Philippians 3, 3 verse 3, if you want to follow me. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. So Paul is saying that we are the true worshipers. That we can have joy in all circumstances because Jesus died for us. Our worship is internal, not just external. Praying and telling the Lord what we follow, that we are going to follow his lead and his plan in our life is a surrender of our own selves. It's an act of worship. And we, we are called to worship in his spirit and in truth, says John 
24. So we relied in what Christ Jesus has done, that is, die for us. And there is a uh, devotional that I follow, and we follow as a church, as a, at home as well. I really like my Atmos for His Highest. It's one of my favorite books, and this is by Oswald Chamber. And I'm going to read to you what he says about this topic. I am not saved by believing. What? I simply realize I am saved by believing. And it is not repentance that saves me. What? Repentance is only the sign that I realize what God has done through Jesus Christ. The danger here is putting the emphasis on the effect instead of the cause. It is my obedience, consecration, and dedication that makes me right with God. It is never that. I am made right with God because prior to all these things, Christ died for me. Beautiful written. I couldn't say it in Espanol, maybe. In English, I wouldn't, couldn't. Prayer to whatever obedience you follow. Prayer to whatever place you serve. Prayer to any mission trip you go. Christ died for you. And that is why we do what we do and believe what we believe. Because Dr. Luke said that he is alive. And that is a beauty for us to be joyful. Verse 4. We put no confidence in human efforts. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have risen for confidence in their own effort, I have even more, Paul says. And then he goes and he tells us his credentials and achievements he had plenty. Boy, that guy. You know, he was not just here winning recipe contests. He was the big dude enchilada, you know. And he says that it really doesn't matter that those achievements and credentials have no value. Sometimes we hang on our diplomas. We hang on to our recipe contents to say, hey, I did that and I did this. And Paul who was a Hebrew of Hebrews, says there, said, it doesn't really matter. Verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Bless you. So it is important to notice here that Paul does not only think his past is worthless, but also his present and his future. Verse 8, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discouraged everything else, counting it all as garbage, basura, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. His past credentials are gone from his thoughts. He doesn't care about it. And what did Paul do? Boy, he established churches. He went and planted churches. He went and encouraged missionaries. And he started mentoring other ones that come. And he said, that's not important. He preached and he wrote the scripture that we read right now. Lots of it. All of it. Almost in the New Testament. 
is written by him. And he said, all these things are not important. All these works of service are wonderful. And they are important, but they're not more important than knowing Christ, Jesus, his Lord. Nothing that you and I did do or will do can earn us or maintain our salvation. The salvation that comes from God is not based on, based on human logic. It only comes in one form. Jesus Christ, Christ's death and resurrection. There is no other way. Sinful men and women can be changed into new creation, not because of their repentance of their belief. They can be changed because prior to all that, Christ Jesus died. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 19. One of the greatest verses in the New Testament. This means, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, that anyone who, anyone who belongs to Christ, who belongs to who? To Christ. Anyone who belongs to to Christ that belongs that who sorry let me read it again this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person the old life is gone a new life has begun you are new made totally new for what Christ has done for you not for what you do because if it was for that I wouldn't be a new creation believe me you know, I love Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20, Jesus is right there. He said, look, I am at the door. And I'm knocking. And you open the door and I come in. I'm going to sit down. and going to eat with you as friends. He is always nurturing with food. I'm going to challenge you to do this. I'm going to challenge you to look of the events in the New Testament where Jesus is, you're going to find him doing three things. Coming into a meal, eating a meal, or leaving a meal. My kind of guy, you know, he's always eating with friends. Because, because food is the nourishment of our souls and our bellies. And he knows that. And he's going to give us the bread of life that will sustain our faith from now until we see him again. Hallelujah. So, Nothing that we do can earn our salvation. And this verse is just telling us as it continues that uh, we are in a new creation. Verse 18 of the uh, first, second Corinthians said, And all this is a gift from God, not a fruit. It's a gift from God. God gives you this gift of salvation. Um, who brought us back to himself, to Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Let's continue in Philippians on verse 9. So Paul says that he wants to know Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. 
Jesus initiates and sustains our salvation. We are not saved by faith or works. We are saved by God's mercy and grace. Salvation comes from God. It was his idea. God has been in an unstoppable mission to save you and rescue you since the beginning of time. That was his idea. Not yours, and you all decided, oh, I got an idea. I'm going to follow Jesus. Choosing God, choosing his word, receiving the promise that Jesus gives eternal life to those who trust in him and become is becoming one with him. Just like Paul says. Um, I want you to uh, forget that a kid is crying and imagine that this, let's think about that this is Jesus and this paper is your life. Okay? Now I'm going to put this paper inside the Bible. Now, that paper that represents your life is in Jesus, the Bible. Okay? It doesn't do anything if it's next to Jesus, close to Jesus. Somehow, somehow in there. When you are in Jesus, your salvation is so good because prior to what you have done, when, Jesus, when God reconciled the world, instead of seeing you, he sees Jesus first. He sees Jesus first so he can see you. And that is the salvation explained to the other room <laughs> that I'm coming from. This is how we do what we do and believe what we, we believe because prior to that, Jesus died for us. True salvation means to be in Christ, just like here. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus first. Your sins, listen to this, your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven, forgotten, forever. This is the faith that Paul talks about when he says, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, says in verse 10. Remember, at the beginning of my talk, I said that we believe in Jesus because he is alive. Paul wants to experience the power of the resurrection. In Romans 8, Romans 8, 11, says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raise Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give us eternal life by the same spirit, the spirit of God living in you, living in us. Paul doesn't want to sit there and have had knowledge about Christ. He wants to experience him in the resurrection. Can you think of a friend that you know so well that you sometimes even can think what they're thinking? Paul wants to do that. Paul wants to be able to say, oh, Jesus is thinking this. He's saying this. I know that because he is my friend and I know my friends very well. That is what Paul is saying. He wants that 
knowing, knowing him so well will be part of also sharing his sufferings. Whoops. Many of us would love to skip this verse. We don't want that. Who wants to suffer, huh? But he said, I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. Suffering in life is suspected. It is part of life, and it's part of life with Jesus as well. He didn't say we were not going to suffer. Remember that joy does not depend on happenings. It is a decision of your will. Joy depends upon following Jesus. And Paul wants to rejoice even in the suffering. I can think of many people that I know, some of them hearing, sitting right here, that they have joy in the suffering. And I can think of other ones. They're not sitting here. That they are normally sad, mad, angry, or confused in the same period of time when suffering is occurring in your life. It is not easy to have joy, always. There is a story about a missionary from the 1800s. His name, James Colbert. He's a Methodist preacher that decided that he was going to go to the Fiji Islands. And he was going to serve and bring the gospel, the good news, Christ risen from the dead to the cannibals back in the day. And he brought a team of people with him. And as the boat was arriving, the captain of the boat said, uh, hey, mister, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to go to that island with the Hannibals? Because you are going to lose your life and the life of the people in your team when you arrive and try to live with these people. And this is what he said. We die before we came here. Corbett had already taken the price of suffering very serious. He was ready to suffer with Christ and for Christ and be joyful because joy depends upon Christ and it's a decision of your will. At the end, a life that is not Christ-centered is self-centered because you yourself will make the decision of where are you going to do. I remember uh, one time when a bunch of us went to the Dominican Republic um, on a mission trip, a medical mission trip. Medical mission trip is very different than the one, just a regular trip. Because in a medical mission trip, you experience one-on-one person, uh, close, closer to, to the person. You also experience this physical pain and suffering. And this particular one uh, was my first one. And it was it made me my first one on a medical team. My part of my task was to translate. 80% of the time, I will be doing translation from the patient to the doctor, from the doctor to the patient. And I want you to picture day number three of this in a 90 degrees weather with 100% humidity. And if it was not that, believe me, it just felt like that to me. English, Spanish, and tiredness were my language that I was doing every day. It will go from the morning to the end of the day. It would one time in between to eat. In a room that is a bedroom, 
with no circulation. And here we were, there they were, there were packed people waiting for us. So, um, I'm gonna try to say this story. There was something in this trip that changed my life forever. A lady came with her eight-year-old daughter and we greet, greet them, hey, how you doing? And the doctor started asking just questions about, you know, their just normal questions, routine questions is what I'm trying to say. And then the doctor said, uh, what's wrong with you? I think it was Dasha. I don't know if it was Dasha or it was Debbie, but anyway. The mom said something that I will remember for the rest of my life. Remember, I'm there to translate. Um, she said, I want the doctor to give my daughter some medicine because she's ugly. I froze. I froze. The doctor looked at me and said, what's wrong with the kid? Because my face is probably like this one. I was like in shock that she said that. I ran out of the room. <laughs> I couldn't take it anymore. I went out of the room and I scream and I cry and I have a tiredness attack and a sadness and suffering attack. And I cry back in the room and I was like, oh my goodness, I know this is day three and the coffee was nothing. <laughs> there was no coffee. Uh, they don't drink coffee. We need to pray for them. Uh, <laughs> and I'm so tired and so in shock that someone would say that. And then a wise 17-year-old kid, an elder, a 17-year-old kid from the church came and went like this. <laughs> and, she, and he said, don't cry, Adelie. They don't know their suffering. They don't know any other life. So put yourself together, go back in, and continue doing what you were doing. It is the way of helping God today. Okay, I guess a 17-year-old kid should come and tell me what I need to do. So I went back into the room. The doctor, wiser than myself, gave the daughter some vitamins in the shape of animal and asked the mom to be kind to her daughter. I hold that kid's face and I say, Jesus loves you. You are beautiful in his eyes. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. That day, I changed a lot. In the sufferings, we rejoice. God doesn't waste anything in my life. He uses it for his glory and for my good. I cannot even read. Hold on. I learned to see the world different that day. I learned to rejoice in my suffering. It was my soul and my heart that suffered that day, not my physical body. Well, I didn't have any coffee, just a little. You know, my physical body was treating a little. I learned to rejoice for being able to be there and do ministry with the team. And I didn't do it so God will love me because guess what? He already does. 
He does. Whether I was there or not, He does love me. And I didn't do that to please, to, so God will be pleased with me because He already is pleased with me when He sees Christ before myself. He is. That's the clue. Clink, 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 clink. He sees Christ first and then myself. So He is pleased with me. Not for what I do. Because in the suffering that we experience, we are experiencing Christ. It is to be like Christ, to be with Christ, to be for Christ. That we do what we do. So, when we follow Jesus, we are not expecting to suffer, but he never promised that. Actually, the opposite. Mark 8, 34 and 35 says this. Then, Mark 8. 34, 35. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If anyone of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news that we saw what it was, there were, know that he is alive, you will save it. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Peter said, what do you mean that following you, I'm going to follow your agenda, not mine? I'm going to uh, pick up my cross? Paul, I mean, Peter had a problem with this. Jesus knew that he was going to die and be the perfect sacrifice for us because he was obedient to the Father. But Peter, no, this road, the Romans did was a shameful way to die. He knew that this was not what he wanted to do, follow Jesus to his death. He wanted to follow him to the throne on earth. So what kind of success, success story is this for the disciples, for us right now? Hmm. Paul says, and he's going to finish with this part of the letter, by saying that one way or another, he will experience the resurrection from the dead through the sufferings on earth or later. Because his hope is for tomorrow. The day he will see the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will sit at his feet and contemplate his face and be in awe. Jesus is our pattern for this life and for the life to come. We do what we do and we believe what we believe because Jesus died in our place and rose again. And he, we will see his glory forever and ever. Amen. So I rejoice in my salvation because what? When God sees me, then he sees Jesus. So as I close, I want you to remember that joy depends upon following Jesus and knowing him personally. We do not follow him to have a happy life. He promised that we will have abundant life. Anyway, we follow him because we are going to have eternal life. And that is joy by itself. So as I ask the worship team to come, I want you to take a few moments and reflect 
and what I just said to you in this passage. And ask yourself this question. Am I rejoicing in the Lord? Am I placing my joy in happenings and not in Jesus? And then I'm going to come back and close the service.